Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And welcome to The Back Peg, episode 15, and an up late. Yeah, no guest this week, Laz. And yes. uh, we're recording a, a little bit earlier in the week because yes. yours truly is off on a, on a shorter holiday this weekend. Very uh, good. Congratulations to uh, Sean and Ebony getting married this weekend. Uh, congratulations. Uh, shout out to you and uh, for everyone else down there as well for the wedding. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic event. And I uh, uh, wish you both uh, a lifetime of happiness. Indeed. But Laz, there was so much football as well this yeah. past week. Yeah, there was. Before we start, uh, Nathan, just a reminder about the heartbeat of football. Go to theheartbeatoffootball.com.au slash make it red. Um, with regards to the Make It Red round, April 28th, April 30th, the uh, episode with uh, Andy and Angela's gotten a bit of feedback, which is really good, been really positive. So good to hear and uh, good to hear p- people are um, getting behind the cause and uh, enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, we put out three hours of content last week. Yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Some people I know are still uh, getting through it. uh, uh, But uh, anything I've heard has been positive as well. And everyone's loved the the show with Andy and Ange. And it's been really well received on my end as well, which is great to hear. Yeah, awesome. And and I did get a bit of feedback from Liverpool supporters with regards to uh, my take on uh, Konstantin Khadzidaki and Andy Robertson. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm, mm. Go on. What's the feedback? Um, that I was spot on in my approach and that they're sick of it. They're sick, yeah. They were sick. You know, like the fact is that Andy Robertson wouldn't do that for Scotland. So why should he do it for Liverpool? Mm. Although it's difficult to disagree with that. And mm. uh, we can uh, dive straight into that for our first topic this week because there is a, there is an update on that. There's, yes. Uh, there is no punishment for uh, Hatsidaki. Yes. Uh, a lot of the headlines are that he's been punished enough. Yeah, look, I, I think that's the right decision, to be honest. I, I think, look, yes, he, okay, I could understand there being a sanction of some sort, but I, I would have thought that Robertson should have had a similar um, similar punishment should one have been dished out. But, yeah, look, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. I think that uh, what um, Constantine needs to do is obviously just you know, be careful and tread warily next time that somebody approaches him. But you can't have, like we said last week, you can't have people in, in the grill of, uh, in the right up in the grill of, um, you know, officials. It's, it just can't happen. I do obviously point to what happened earlier in the season with Mitrovic and the referee. If mm. the roles were reversed in this incident mm-hmm. in the Liverpool-Arsenal game, what the sort of suspensions would be. Mm. And it wouldn't be that uh, Robertson has suffered enough. So uh, there's, yeah. there's a little bit of a, a different application of, uh, any sort of punishment here towards yeah. the official, but uh, yeah, that's how it's always going to go, I suppose. Mm. No, that's fair enough. That's look, that's a fair take. I understand that. I understand where you're coming from with that. But um, where did you want to go from there? Well, I want to touch on uh, the early kickoff from last week against Premier League. Okay, fair enough. Let's okay. <laughs> let's dive into the. Let's dive into that. If we well, actually, let's not dive into that. <laughs> and good evening, uh, and that's all I have to say. Look, <laughs> Good evening. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I, I was fearing for that result, not to three nil, but I thought oh, that Newcastle mm. would go down. But look, you know, so far it's been, a, you know, it's been a good run. So nine points out of the lo- the last possible twelve. You know, big game this coming Sunday for Newcastle against Spurs at St James. I think if uh, Newcastle knock over Spurs, Spurs are done effectively. Um, so you know, and to get. You know, twelve out of the possible fifteen would be from the last five games. You know, I think is a good return. Yeah, very uh, level-headed as always, Laz. And I do agree with you that if Newcastle do beat Tottenham this weekend, then not only is that Tottenham done, I think that's a top four race done. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, look, things are heating up. There's no doubt. And the thing is, this EPL season has been probably the most interesting of the recent memory because every game has a significant impact on the ladder. So, mm. I mean, who would have thought Liverpool would dish out the kind of uh, punishment that they they did earlier? So against Leeds, right? Um, to that extent, given you know their trials of late. So, yeah, it, it's just really positioned um, nicely, I think. Currently, like the Premier League, and and look, you've got Arsenal, Man City. Oh, sorry, I should say Manchester City, Arsenal in the not too distant future. So that'll be worth uh, having a look into. Absolutely, and uh, that's still over a week away. Mm. We should be able to do a proper uh, 
a run through of that one for next week's pod. Uh, also, mm. judging of what happens this weekend in Arsenal's game against Southampton on Saturday morning, maybe they drop mm. more points and uh, the significance uh, wears off a little bit more from that game coming up mid next week. Mm. Um, I was talking to Barry on uh, British Football Watch last Saturday night, and okay, yep. I asked him the question, and I'll ask it to you as well. It's yep. not a job, don't worry. Yep, sure. Is Ollie Watkins the best English striker aside from Harry Kane right now? I think that's a fair shout. He's currently in form. You know, he's For me, he's good... eclipsed Ivan Tony. Yeah. Look, I, I think I think he's in good form. So, yes, if there was an English side being picked today, I, I would go with Ollie Watkins in front of uh, Ivan Tony. What is it now, 12 goals since mm. Emery's come in? Yeah, correct. And this is a player who's previous to this stint has been really laid with terms of inconsistent and incapable of going to the next level, but we're seeing it now and you know, Emery just shows what a top coach he is. Yeah, look, he, he is a class manager. There's no doubt about that. So, no, all, you know, all power to him. Happy for uh, Villa. They're a big club. And, yeah, it's um, good to see. Good to see. But um, I actually want to take you to um, the dub. Go on. Yeah, let's talk about the dub. Because Western United, Cinderella story, they're into the, through to the grand final. In their um, first ever season. In their first ever season, knocking off the Premier's Sydney FC. So and Melbourne City were uh, were knocked out as well. Mm. So it's it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Uh, so now uh, the preliminary finals on this weekend, and you've got Sydney FC um, hosting Melbourne Victory. Sydney so, FC with sorry, a double um, chance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Sydney FC have a double chance. So. Uh, Melbourne do you Victory. like that format? Yeah, I do. And Melbourne Victory knocking out Melbourne City, that you know who were fancied um, three all and penalties, a lot of drama there. So really good to see that uh, there's a, a big blue preliminary final in the women's. And I think everyone at the APL will be hoping that Sydney gets up this weekend. Just quietly, I think they would be. <laughs> yes, I think they would be hoping and praying that. Uh, that Sydney FC gets up, again, you know, and, and faces Western United in the grand final. Mm. I mean, but, wouldn't it be a good story if Western United in their first season made the grand final and hosted it as well? But uh, yeah, yeah, well, that yeah, that that ship has long sailed, and that's not going mm. to happen. So it'll be interesting to see, though, from a business perspective, a sports business perspective, what the reaction will be, or what the promotion will be to actually get bums on seats out of Combank. For you know, for Western United versus Melbourne Victory, should the Victory knock over um, Sydney FC on the weekend, and they've got a history between them, right? And the Victory in in recent um, uh, in recent finals series have uh, accounted for Sydney FC. So Sydney FC have got a few um, demons to to, uh, to get rid of. Yeah, I don't hold too many hopes that it'll be. Uh, a big crowd, if it is the two Melbourne clubs that go through, or the two Victorian clubs, I should say. Unfortunately, I just can't see it being a big uh, big turnout. I'd love to see it. I'd love nothing more to be, than be proven wrong on that front. But I just can't imagine there's going to be a whole host of people from Sydney to go and have a strong enough desire to go and attend the game. Mm. And yes, it should be a good event regardless, but that's always going to be in the back of the mind. And that's something that's going to be in the back of the mind of a lot of football people over the course of the next two weeks and then the flow-on effect for what might happen and how that might affect the uh, the final series from the men's side of things if we get a similar outcome with no Sydney sides in the grand final. Well, who do you think will uh, make the men's grand final? Because you could really throw a blanket over them over the rest of the field except for obviously Melbourne City. I think Melbourne City are uh, raging favourites, but over the rest of the top six? I'd like to say Adelaide United. I think they have a good enough team to really disrupt Melbourne City in the grand final if they do manage to get there. I think that'd be the best game, but Western Sydney would be the best turnout. So there's a lot of good options there on the table. Mm. Melbourne City, while we're here, hats off to them for winning their third straight premiership. Yeah, congratulations. Done very much uh, down a dark alleyway because no one seems to be really giving them a lot of attention over it partly because it's a minor premiership, partly because it's the profile of Melbourne City, unfortunately. But yeah, they are the best team. They fully deserve it. And uh, well, the championship is not going to be as easy for them. Yeah. Do we think that it's um, Do we think that it's done now, the top six are set? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I do think so. Mm. Just yeah, looking look- at it, I, I think 
Sydney, I've done enough to get in there. And I think if Wellington miss out on the finals, then that would be a, a real shame for them. For mine, they have been in the top half of the teams this year. Hey, there's only two rounds left. So, yeah, it, it, it looks like it's done and dusted, I think. And then if I run through down that list for the bottom half teams, Newcastle, West United, Perth, Brisbane, MacArthur and Melbourne Victory, pretty much all of them have had long spells of this season where they've been massively out of form. And you know, obviously it doesn't come down to who deserves it the most, but yeah. I would think that Wellington and Sydney FC deserve it the most out mm. of the, the entire bottom eight. Yeah. yeah, if Newcastle's goal difference was a little bit better, it was a bit closer to Sydney's, I, I would have thought there'd be a case for Newcastle to knock out you know, Newcastle Jets to knock over Sydney FC because uh, they actually play against each other in the last round. But, yeah, um, I, I think Sydney's goal difference is far too great, and I think Sydney will, um, you know, likewise Wellington will do whatever they need to do to uh, ensure their, you know, they see the next three games out, including, uh, sorry, the next two games out, I should say. And the CF3 derby this weekend as well. The Mariners yeah. want to put the nail in the coffin of the Jets. Correct, correct. Uh, I noticed with interest, though, that um, Tele has decided not to renew a contract with Wellington and wishes yes. to go overseas, which could, well, be Austra- which could be in Australia too, you know. <laughs> well, we know he's not going to Auckland City. No. No, we know that. Well, that's just about all we can rule out at this stage, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So he won't renew with Wellington, he won't go to Auckland City, and he uh, wishes to go overseas. So... And overseas could mean coming back to Australia and picking up a particular job in Sydney. Mm, or a particular job in Melbourne. Which one? The victory job. Oh, I don't know about that. I think Popper's on the way out. You think so? You might I know think something. So. You might know something that uh, that we we don't. No, I don't know anything, but it's, it's just, just a case of like it's just a hunch because I get mm. the sense that yes, a lot of things have happened to the big Q this season that don't really please but I think a lot of the feedback I see from victory fans is that they don't like the style and I empathize with it because when you have a league with no relegation what's the consequence to playing front foot positive attractive football there's no real need to be defense first and pragmatic and yes pop has got that to his game in some areas but by and large he's one of the more pragmatic managers in the a league and that's starting to rob the victory fans up the wrong way because it goes back to something that we were talking about a few weeks ago, that if you're going to play pragmatic football, you need to get results. Otherwise, what are we doing this for? If you're not going to win, at least entertain. Yeah, that's correct. And it hasn't worked out for Popper and Melbourne victory this season, whole host of reasons into that. But I think they're going to look to part ways. That's just the way I see it. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Hard to argue against. Hard, Hard to argue against, that's for sure. But I definitely also see him going to Sydney FC next season. Well, that's what I was thinking. Mm. Right. Um, do we think Corica will have his contract extended or renewed? If they win one finals match, he will get a new deal. Okay. Fair if enough. they make it to the second week, then yeah, I think so. All right. Even maybe still, just making the top six might be enough. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Because you're more Sydney inclined. Yeah. I, I, I think Corica's on the way out. And I think that I suspect that um, that Ufuktale will be um, taking over as Sydney FC manager. No, nothing's like I'm just you know I might be talking out of my backside here, right? But that's what I think will happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have no information at all. It's just this. Yeah, you know, it's just a hunch. I think that um, the timing is that hey, um, Wellington wanted to plan. Ufuktale has just said thanks, but no thanks. I've had my time here. It's been great, but. I suspect um, he may have uh, already been tapped on the shoulder with regards it to the It is a shame every time the Knicks have a good season, their squad just gets ripped apart by the Australian teams, whether it be imports, managers, coaching staff. It happens time after time. I suppose you could extend that to pretty much every club. There's a lot of churn, but it would be nice for there to be a, a real core of the Phoenix in particular that are there for seasons in a row and really start to build a little bit of a dynasty because it's just upheaval constantly. Yeah, but where would you... Um, look, what else would you expect from the Wellington Phoenix as far as their players, you know, they have a good season. Yeah, some of them will try and have a crack overseas. Some of them will obviously look to uh, to move to Australia and have a bigger contract if possible. I mean, 
like I understand where you're coming from, but what else can they do? And look, I think it'll be a similar situation with Auckland City once they're well established. Mm. Uh, so the thing is, I'll ask you: aside from New Zealand players or players from New Zealand, hmm. what club legends does the Wellington Phoenix have? Ooh, good question. Barbarossa, Lifeful. Ah, he's Kiwi. Yeah, but like you're saying, ah, apart from Kiwi. Yeah, what non-New Zealand players? Sorry, would you identify as club legends for Wellington? Yeah, Eiffel's a good one. Hmm. Steve Taylor comes to mind, but I wouldn't call him a legend at uh, Wellington mm. Phoenix. Um, hmm, that's a really good question, Nathan. No one that comes to mind. I think the only other one you could maybe throw in that mix is Roy Krishna. Yeah, at a stretch. But yeah, as you say, it's a stretch, and that is one of my problems with some of the clubs in the in the A League is that. We've been doing this for a decade and a half now, and some teams just don't have those real club icons mm. that you can point to. Ones that, if you were making sort of a Hall of Fame, players that would go in that. Yeah. Some clubs do. Brisbane do. The likes of Broich, Barisha, Enrique, maybe Jade North, Stefanuto. There's a whole host you can put in there. Mm-hmm. Some clubs do, but others just don't. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's that's an inter- interesting is a discussion point, you know. I, yeah, look, obviously their pulling power for the Phoenix hasn't been the best. Um, obviously, they've had challenges of trying to re- attract players as well because they really suffered under COVID as well, um, having to be here. Um, so not having a home, in effect. So how do you actually recruit a new player in, bring him into, you know, when they can't actually set up a domicile in Wellington, you know what I mean? So, mm. yeah, they've had unique challenges, I think. But I think the club itself is well run from by all reports. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. I just would like to see more icons of the A-League, like club icons rather than league icons. And yeah, that's fair enough. As I say, Brisbane have got some. The Sydney clubs have a few. Melbourne Victory, there's a couple here and there. Just in purely in terms of the ones who have come to our shores to play the game, ones that have embraced the culture and hung around for a few years and really stuck around as uh, someone who's adopted an Australian or New Zealand club rather mm. than someone who was born here and, and raised to it. There's a whole host of those players. As a bit of a side note, I was looking through some of the foreign players in the A-League that have come and gone over the years. Yep. And something really struck me. Mm-hmm. It's something that we were talking about with Patrick Skeen all the way back on episode two of the backpack. Yep. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Sure. It's that Melbourne victory with all their demographics and the build-up of Melbourne mm-hmm. have not had one single play of Greek origin. Mm, that's, well, not from Melbourne, no. They did have Barbarossas for a while. Oh, but an actual Greek player from... Oh, from Greece. From Greece, perhaps a national they, team player. They, they, they wouldn't come out. Surely you could convince someone. No. Surely. I no. mean No, they wouldn't they wouldn't come out. Why's that? Because they haven't really come out uh, and been successful in the past. So and and look yeah, it, it's not something that um also if they're a, a national team player, it, it would be toward the end of their career. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be, be wanting like they wouldn't be wanting to play be playing here in their prime because they will be forgotten for national team selection. It's a similar scenario with you know most of the uh, European national teams where, aside from the smaller nations, and I mean that respectfully in population terms, where um, they will pick the players that are playing either in Europe uh, or in the domestic league in Greece. And, and if they're out of sight, they're out of mind. I don't think, actually, I don't think there are any Greek players in the MLS, to be honest. Mm, maybe not. And... Look, I can see from a marketing perspective... Mm. Where you're trying to go with it, but the, someone uh, like Giorgio Samaras, mm. if he was able to be lured to Melbourne Victory, yep. imagine the impact on the crowds and everyone in Melbourne who would uh, come out and support the team. Yeah, I don't think the Melbourne Victory are very well supported by the Greek diaspora in Melbourne. To be honest, I don't think they have engaged with them a lot either. You will find that the and the and this is where the MPL in Victoria is very well run they actually have um 
uh, ticketed members. Um, so South Melbourne, Heidelberg United, Oakley Cannons, um, oh, Bentley Greens, you know, which is a super club. So you, you have these clubs which actually have high membership, relatively high membership as compared to the NPL clubs in Sydney and Brisbane and, and, and uh, South Australia for that matter. So um, you have more affinity and affiliation with those NPL clubs who were probably vying to be in the NSD as opposed to the Melbourne victory itself. I think the Melbourne victory and the Melbourne and Melbourne city have missed the boat on that completely as far as trying to connect the uh, different migrant communities with, uh, with their clubs. I don't think it's actually really from outside looking in uh, it's been a focus for them. It really should be though. It really should be because there's so many people that can get engaged with the A-League and engage with Melbourne victory or, Melbourne City or West United, whoever it might be. Mm. And there's a real growth potential there. You mentioned some of the NPL clubs, and yes, it's great that those clubs have really lent into the the culture and the origins of the clubs themselves. Mm. But surely there's room there for the A-League teams to engage with these communities as well. And there was only three Greek players, just while we're on that topic, mm. that have played in the A-League at all. It was uh, Avram Papadopoulos, and yep. uh, Panagiotos Kone, Kone, at Kone West from Western United. It was probably the biggest of the signings. Um, you know, big, uh, I, th- I think uh, Papadopoulos was toward the end of his uh, career as well, his playing stint, like his playing career. Um, which one was the third one? Sertravanis. Ah, Sertravanis at Newcastle. He's still at Newcastle yep. Jets. Yes, yeah. He's not. I don't think he's actually played a senior national team game, though. To be fair, I may be wrong, but I don't recall him actually being a fully capped international. No, he's not. So, and yeah, he was only at Newcastle last season, and he's departed since. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, look, I mean, he may have come for uh, for what he anticipated to be a better life, but um, yeah, um, look, it's interesting. But there are other communities, and and there have been players that have been brought, which to try and target those communities to try and gender up a uh, it, you know engender a following and it hasn't uh hasn't quite worked out that way but i actually thought of um whilst we we're talking about uh, wellington phoenix and a couple of names came to mind durante was there for a long time he would be considered a club legend andrew andrew durante and he's aussie no yes he is yeah although i think he actually well okay he was australian by birth mm. same with, with manny musket i guess but I believe that they've actually been capped by New Zealand because of resident um, uh, resident uh, rules. So they played long enough in um, you know in the in New Zealand and and became um, permanent residents and were able to uh, represent New Zealand. But also, Ulysses de Villa. Well, he should be a, a Wellington Phoenix icon. Hmm. He should have been. Well, I don't know who's the reason or if there was a particular party at fault for why he's ended up in MacArthur but he's someone who lit the A-League up in a Wellington Phoenix shirt yeah. he should have been kept around yeah so yeah and Nathan Burns I think uh, from memory was at, the, as, was at the Knicks as well and had a pretty good stint as well. again like Nathan Burns was at a few different mm. A-League teams so yeah, but I don't think I'd necessarily call him a Wellington legend or a club icon I think he um, he did very well there though I'd have to check his stats, but I'm pretty sure he ended up with a golden boot there and um, player of the year. Mm. But there you go. There you go. It's interesting. It's interesting. And this is something that uh, perhaps is going to get solved a bit more long-term with the A-League, that players are going to stick around for more years, particularly those who uh, are not Australian or New Zealand. Yeah, correct. By birth. And, uh, yeah, that's something we can potentially look forward to is more, more teams get involved and more money and more people stick around. Indeed. Indeed. We shall move on. Shall we? Let's Unless go. you got something else to bring up. Oh, I've got plenty, but you, I'm sure you've got plenty as well. So let's let's go with what you've got. I mean, you, wanted, one... you wanted to bring yep. up Newcastle United, and yes, I understand <laughs> that. Okay. I, I had to, we had to start off with that. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. I'm not not um, going to mention Neil Mob. I, no, I can uh, sit here pretty knowing that uh, Top 4 is pretty much wrapped up now. Mm, mm. Mm, something else I want to mention about your mob later on, though. But anyway, let's oh, go. Okay, all right. Um, one thing I saw is mm. that uh, Olympic Lyon mm-hmm. are selling 52% of the women's team. Mm. That's an interesting one. I don't know how you sell off 
a portion of your women's team, let alone majority. Well, I guess it's if you think about it, though, Nathan, what about the 50.50% plus one vote in Germany with regards to club ownership? Yeah, I think that's club, that's club ownership, not one specific team within the club. Okay. Well, see, right. Now, this is where it gets a bit tricky, mm. right? In Europe, you actually have different... So you can actually have the club itself be disassociated from the private ownership of, of the club. And what I mean by that is in Greece, for instance, you've got um, the... Uh, proprietary limited being the men's team, but the actual sporting body of the club, which might be like, I'll put it this way, like Real Madrid, for instance, right? Real Madrid has its basketball club, has its men's uh, football team, and they acquired a women's football team and and brought them in, right? In Europe, in Greece, for instance, Olympiakos will have different ownership for the basketball club against the uh, different ownership for the football club, but they're still known as Olympiakos, right? So it's something that is commonplace in Europe, but it is a bit of a foreign concept to us in the English-speaking Western world. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So because... they've, obviously, they've obviously disassociated the women's football club or team in order to do that, to raise capital for... Um, uh, for mm. For the women's team in particular, to try and um, you know get uh, better results, and obviously the women's team is a, like of Olympic Lyon is quite a strong club mm. and quite a strong organisation in its own right. And that's why I caught the eye because they're a strong, okay. successful team, mm. and here the club are looking to offload more than half of it to, uh, yeah. and it looks like it's going to be sold off to uh, American businesswoman Michelle Kang. Okay, and Look, yeah, that's interesting. interesting that yeah. I, is the new owner going to be able to change the colours of the team? Like, uh, how much would, control does fifty-two percent mm, get you? I would think not. I would think that again, these type of things are actually um, part of the terms of and conditions of sale. That the the identity of Olympic Leon Football Club would be maintained. So the colours, the crest, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, likewise, you know, they might be a party. You know, they might be operating under a licence to the men's club. It, it, it's, it just depends on how the structure is of the deal, right? But I, I think it, it'll be fascinating to see. Um, you know, and, and look, it's, like I said, it's something that's quite commonplace in Europe. But, I mean, obviously in the States, for instance, and in some clubs in Britain with regards to the um, WSL, uh, where there's no association with a, with a men's football club, right? Um Point in case, uh, you know, I find the Angel City Football Club in Los Angeles, um, owned by, you know, part owned by Natalie Portman, an interesting point in case. Mm. You know, and that's I haven't that worth seen too much about that. Yeah, that's one worth having a look into. I can tell you, they've uh, injured a lot of sport and, and a big following. And um, um, and I would actually say that it'd be very close to LAFC in, in the way that they've tried to uh, engage with the community there. In LA, and look, obviously, the women's game has a different um, supporter structure and supporter base to the men's game as well, and cultural influences and all that. Interesting, indeed. All right, Nathan. Go on, Les. I have a question for you, Nathan. Hit me. How do you feel as a Manchester United supporter that Old Trafford has not been considered fit for purpose? For the per- for the listing of the stadiums proposed to host Euro twenty twenty eight, it's a disgrace. Mm-hmm. It's an indictment on the current owners, mm-hmm. and there's no excuse for it. Mm-hmm. It all points to the fact that there was there's been a significant lack of investment ever since the Glazers took ownership of the club back in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. They haven't spent a penny more aside from a lick of paint. Mm-hmm. And I think the main reason as to why the stadium hasn't been considered, though, is because the ownership is up for question at the moment and the club can't guarantee that it will be available for the composition in five mm. years' time. Mm. Because if it is to be reconstructed yep. or knockdown rebuild, yep. 
it hasn't been confirmed one way or the other that will entirely decide on the new owners if there are some. Mm-hmm. The club can't guarantee the stadium's availability. So okay. it's a shame that Manchester United's Old Trafford, the biggest club stadium in the UK, or in England, mm-hmm. um, will be unavailable to host a match for a U- any Euro bid. And on the other side of the city in uh, in Manchester City's ground, uh, that will be where the games in Manchester will be held. And when we look at the list of the 10 stadiums, and we can go through them quickly, right? But I noticed that um, Anfield is not on there, but Everton Stadium, which is yet to be finished, is actually on there. So that's a surprise. So is why that... so why wouldn't mm. the owners of Manchester United actually turn around and say to the organizers of Euro 2028, guys, irrespective of what happens, we've got a plan to just renovate the stadium and it'll be ready by that time. Instead of just going, you know what? Yeah, it's just a, it just seems to me that it looks like it's just all too hard. We're not sure what's going to happen with the stadium. We're not sure what's going to happen with the ownership of the club. And we're not going to actually commit ourselves and make any promises. And you know what? Hey, we're not all that fussed as actually have that prestige of actually being involved in Euro 2028. I don't understand where they're coming from here. I really don't. Even just to get one up on Manchester City, you, you know, your noisy neighbours. Well, looks like that um, they've got one up on you here, on Manchester United, I should say. Well, I'm right with you, Laz, and... I completely agree with everything you're saying, but really it's just because if the Glazers are to hang around with some external investment, which mm-hmm. is one avenue, that money won't be spent on the stadium. I find it hard to believe that that money is going to go towards either a renovation or a rebuild. And the current stadium is just not up to standard. You compare it to Tottenham, Wembley, the city of, uh, of Manchester Stadium, a whole host of others across the UK, Old Trafford in its current state just doesn't match up. Fair enough. And look, uh, there's a reason why uh, I didn't visit Old Trafford and that's because the club sucks. But that's besides... (laughs) (laughs) But obviously the ground sucks more than the club, right? So... (laughs) And just my thoughts on it, I would like to see Old Trafford renovated rather than knocked down. I agree with you. And and in its place be something akin to... The Tottenham Stadium in in style design. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Look, there's no reason why if Anfield can be renovated to the point that it is, and it's actually quite impressive considering what they've done, how they've done it, and in keeping with the appearance of the stadium as much as they can, and you know, bearing in mind the history of it and what have you, whilst. You know, I can't see why Manchester United can't take a similar approach aside from just lack of interest from the um, ownership. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of uh, umming and ahhing and, con- well, not confusion, but it was a big challenge to work out how to rebuild the Bobby Charlton stand, which is the one remaining stand that does look old and small mm-hmm. compared to the others mm-hmm. because it does back right onto a railway. But modern engineering... You can build straight up, and sure, that is now a possibility. It might be a little bit more expensive than the other stand on the opposite side, but it is something that can be done. It's just a case that the owners don't have any real interest in spending the money required to build that part of the ground, let alone renovating the existing parts that are falling apart. I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand how. A club that claims to be a successful brand, like a world-leading brand in in this sport, would drop the ball on this. And it looks like to me they've actually dropped the ball and they've just given Manchester City a, a free pass into this. It, it, they really have. It looks like they just, eh, they're nonchalant about it. Couldn't care less. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be the case, and it just shows the club's been bled dry for well, 17 years. Yeah. I mean, look, let's look at the stadiums just quickly. London, Wembley, right? London, Tottenham, Hotspur Stadium. Why do we need two stadiums in London, Lars? Yeah. Yeah, I know. 
Cardiff, uh, the Millennium, obviously, Manchester, the City of Manchester Stadium, like you said, Liverpool, Everton's new stadium, like we mentioned, that'll be the one that um, they'll be using in Liverpool, which is near the dock, and which looks like that'll be a beautiful stadium once it's done. It looks like it'll be a really good stadium once it's done, and the location of it is brilliant. So, and I think it's on track for completion. I believe so. This year or early next year? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Uh, Newcastle, St. James's Park, which is just a cathedral of football. It really is. It's just a great stadium to be at. Glad to see Villa Park, uh, Birmingham involved, and Hampton Park at Glasgow, Dublin Arena, and Belfast Casement Park, which is the smallest one of the lot. So you've got um, you've got England, Scotland, Wales. And Northern Ireland and Ireland covered. I would say that Hampden Park is the worst of the big three stadiums in Scotland. Yeah, I don't know why they haven't gone to Parkhead or Celtic. Is it Park. just to appear neutral in the in the possibly. city of Glasgow? Yeah, possibly, possibly. But there you have it. There you have it. But so Hampden yeah. Park, they've they've tried to make it like a Wembley in, of Scotland, mm. and that same sort of prestige and occasional use and it needs work just like uh, some other stadiums across the UK it, it doesn't need work and as, as it stands at the moment both Ibrox and Parkhead are better venues mm. I, I, I noticed like I said I'm a bit mystified as to why Anfield wasn't picked but obviously they're um, looking to push the modern facility that um, that you know, the uh, new Stockside Stadium at Liverpool will have... It might also be the a case of potential renovations, maybe. Potential, yeah. As a factor. Yeah, sure. No, that's that's a fair point. I'd believe that at Anfield versus Manchester United, though, unfortunately. Manchester City have put plans out for uh, the Etihad Stadium expansion. Well, that's good. They're doing more than what Manchester United have done. You're not wrong. £300 million worth. And due to commence? No day. But it will be done by Euro 2028, 60,000 seats. Isn't that funny? So it'll be done by Euro 2028. Mm-hmm. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, Manchester United consider, you know, considered the stuffy conservatives now of football. Are they the new English FA? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yep. I read that, Manchester City, what you've sent through, and it's been announced in the last 10 minutes. Obviously, they ran this by the people at um, at the bid organisers with regards to Euro twenty twenty eight, and they've managed to get it through. Absolutely nuts. Mm, Absolutely they say nuts. it will take up to three years, and we have five until Euro twenty twenty eight. So plenty of leeway if something doesn't go a little bit west. But hey, sixty thousand seats. Some of the pictures have uh, been put up on the Manchester City website. They look fantastic. That looks good. The sky bar looks like a good uh, thing to add to it the ground. Like, look, it's no new. It's it's, it's a club that uh, are investing in the area, investing yeah, in their 100%. infrastructure, and uh, they're going to reap the benefits of it. Hundred percent. Look, back to the stadiums. Look, this is no Santiago Bernabeu. I think that'll be the benchmark of stadiums as far, as soon as that's completed, right? And we've seen nothing like that here, this side of the world. Perhaps SoFi in the States is probably close to it, but I would contend that the Bernabeu, as soon as it's uh, finalised, will be the um, most modern up, you know, and sensational stadium. There's no other word for it as soon as it's ready. And, and yeah, it's high up on the, uh, the bucket list to mm, go and see when mm, it's completed. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Any timeline on that, Les? Uh, I believe that it will be ready for season 23-24. Yeah, not far away. Mm. Not far mm. away. At some point during the uh, next uh, yep. up, up and coming season. So I'll oh, look for them. You know, I mean, and obviously they're playing out of the Bernabeu, so maybe they, um, you know, might start afresh come 24, you know, and the, kick off the season 24-25 there. But, yeah, it's just uh, a mind-boggling, mind-boggling feat, that one. It really is. Them and Spurs, I think, will be the two best stadiums in Europe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, hard to argue. What else caught your eye, young Nathan? 
Uh, a bit of an update on something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that Argentina being confirmed as the host of the Under-20 World Cup for this year. Yes. After being taken off Argent- uh, Indonesia. Mm. And uh, I think we should see some good crowds. I think the Argentinian team will certainly sell out, particularly with the groundswell of support off the, the senior team winning the World Cup. And yeah. should be a good event. As a side note, yeah, something that came out a couple of weeks ago that I missed. Mm-hmm. I saw some proposals for the uh, La Nueva Bombonera. Really? Mm, some uh, artist impressions and uh, some information on that. Okay. Jeez. That'll be interesting to see how that takes um, takes shape. Hopefully they can manage to keep the shape of the uh, of the stadium the same. Um you know, you you want them to keep the feel of La Bobonera there, you know, and that stadium shakes. It certainly <laughs> does. It's really falling, <laughs> you know, it's falling apart at the seams. But it's <laughs> you've seen some of the uh, you know some of the online footage of uh, La Bobonera when it's at capacity. And my lord, although mm. I, I did notice that Celtic was shaking, uh, you know, Celtic Park was shaking to its foundations as well with um, with Celtic and Rangers. Uh, were playing and Celtic had scored and you saw the actual buildings of the stand shake as well. It's just incredible the amount of noise that's generated in the movement that these these stadia have, you know, and these stands, it's just insane. You see footage of it and you're going, how does that happen? But, yeah, especially La Bobonera, it looks like it's about to fall apart. It's crazy. You're right. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely and, nuts, isn't it? And uh, it's not a, a visual show, of course, but... Uh... Oh, wow. No, sorry. Oh, you've ruined it for me. So I've just shown Laz one of the uh, proposals for the new stadium, La Nueva Bobonera. How can you call that La Bobonera? (laughs) I mean, it looks spectacular in isolation. Oh, as a stadium on its own, yeah. But come on, man. No. It's not La La Bobonera. No, no. Sorry, I'm not a fan. But I'll tell you about a, a stadium in South America, actually, which uh, is interesting. And the players do not eat oranges at halftime there, but they need mm-hmm. oxygen tanks. Did you know that? Is this a stadium in Peru? In Peru, yes. Very good. Altitude. Altitude, mm. 100%. So third division team, Union Minas, their stadium, that holds about 8,000 people, right? Um, sits at an elevation of 14,370 feet above sea level. Wow. Right? And it's uh, in the Andean Mountains, and it's incredible. It would be uh, it would be pretty much the highest elevated club in, you know, highest elevated uh, club teams in the world there uh, with regards to, well, to where the locale of the field is. So, yeah, if you go to Copper 90, they've got a post on it, actually. And you see the players in the dressing rooms actually um, hooked up to oxygen tanks at halftime. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and you hear stories about playing at the Azteca, mm. that it's a, a different experience just because the air is so thin. And that's, what, still a few thousand below this Peruvian yeah. stadium you're mentioning here. Yeah. and w- Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely in- insane. Um, whilst we're uh, talking about South American football, though, I noticed that uh, Luis Suarez, old fangs himself, has missed a third penalty for Gremio this season. He used to be so good from the spot. Mm, so, Not anymore. No. So, which, yeah, is really unusual. So, On the on the flip side, a player who's fixed his penalty scoring rate that I saw today was that uh, Romelu Lukaku, mm-hmm. when he first came through, he was terrible at taking penalties. Yes. You may recall. Yes. But he hasn't missed one in six years now. There you go. I think he's 24 in a row. Is he going to go back? Correctly? Yeah, is he going to go back to Chelsea? That's a story that he is going to go back to Chelsea. Mm. And mainly because Inter aren't going to conjure up the money to mm. buy him. Yeah. And Romelu Lukaku, yes, he's a, he's a number nine. He might link all this Chelsea attack together quite nicely, but he, it hasn't been a great season for him all in all. And I think it's one open play goal this season. Yeah. Which doesn't fill you with a whole lot of confidence. I think Chelsea are done in the Champions League, though, overnight. Our time coming up. Surely. 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 uh, 
Yeah, I, I would I would hope so, and I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the performance they sh- uh, dished up against Brighton on the weekend. Brighton should have won that six one, seven one. Yeah, yeah. That it, was a that was men against boys. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't hold out any hopes for uh, for Chelsea, which is good because it suits Real Madrid to a T. Um, it absolutely does. And go on. Bow- Bowley was a, a um, yeah. Decided to open his mouth before the uh, tie against Real Madrid, <laughs> didn't he? Yes, we're going to win three 0 at the burnout. At the burnout, yeah, yeah. There have been a few things that haven't dated very well this season, or even like uh, the start at the end of last season. So Klopp saying, "Yeah, buy your tickets for the final in Istanbul, for Liverpool." <laughs> um, Graham Potter saying that Chelsea were going to win the effing Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Todd Bowley saying, yeah, that Real Madrid are, you know, are going to lose 3-0 at home to this rebel for Chelsea. Well, he's been talking a lot, Todd Bowley. Has he? He hasn't, and... been, he hasn't been talking to fucking James Corden again, has he? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, the longer it goes on this season with Todd Bowley and Chelsea, the more I believe that story. It's a fucking farce. It is. And some of the stories that have come out this week is that he's been uh, seen... Or reports are that he's in the dressing rooms giving team talks to the players. I'm starting to feel for Chelsea supporters. They've had a good for too long. Yeah, but no, look, (laughs) I'm starting to feel for them because this is, I haven't seen this type of total disregard for football culture and club culture. I mean, look, Chelsea under Abramovich were pretty ruthless, but they had very good executive there, you know, Handling all these situations, right, and 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 dealing with these issues, Bowley takes over the club and basically gives everyone the ass, and has decided that he'll also play football manager. So no football executives in, in any sense, no ex- experience. Tries to do the money ball thing, and and well, to a degree, I think, but is obviously being caught out, spent overspending. Um, you know, and trying to do the long-term contract things, which may work, may not work. Who's to say, right? It's early. It's early days in his ownership. But oh, I tell you what, if things don't look good for Chelsea, and I don't no, know, don't. and and I don't know where they go to from here. Because yeah. you look at the decline of managers. You go from Thomas Tuchel to Graham Potter to Frank Lampard. That's a steep decline as yeah. far as managerial credentials go, and. That's not necessarily a slight on those players, on those managers, but it's a slight on the mindset for Tobol and where they're at as a team. And look, there was this other story this week that caught my eye that Enzo Fernandez has signed a contract extension. He's only just moved there. That was my thought. Fuck oh, no! Look, I swear, Bowley must have some Mediterranean in him. <laughs> only it's crazy. Only someone with like with with some Mediterranean in them would be this crazy. And, and cashed up because I actually thought um, this is just absolutely insane. I've not seen anything like it, and I thought Marinac mm. and I thought Marinakis at uh, Nottingham Forest would be a bit cavalier and what have you, and he was because of the numbers of the number of signings that they made. But he's actually stood by his manager and sacked everyone else at Nottingham Forest, right? <laughs> uh, and, and I can tell you that that's a you know, and at, at Olympiacos he's done a similar thing, right? He's operated in a similar way where. Managers don't last long in in with uh, Marinaki, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's just absolutely insane. His Bowley must have some Eastern European or Southern Southern European in him because this is just absolutely nuts, nuts, nuts. It's unsustainable. It's un and really, it's getting to the point where it's untenable. I think for Bowley, but anyway, should we move on? Well, just because Deb, Todd Bowler gets a lot of the the the, uh, the profile when it comes to Chelsea, and he yeah. gets a lot of the criticism. Yeah, we should also also uh, point the gun, so to speak, towards uh, Bedadek Bali as well, who's very much in the higher ups of Chelsea. And mm-hmm. some reports say that he runs more of the show than Todd Bowley. So now, it's, where's it's, he it's from? Just a, he is uh, Iranian. Okay, that explains it. I don't want to cast aspersions, right? <laughs> but that explains it, right? So I said, like, you know, I should have actually said not, you know, 
Mediterranean slash Middle Eastern, <laughs> you know, North African. It, it just seems like a hothead that's running it. Mm. And that explains it. Oh, they're a mess. They're a mess. And you say, I don't know where they go from here. Someone with I... that kind, someone with that kind of background or cultural influence yeah. or, blood, or bloodline <laughs> has that kind of madness, and that you just explained it. Oh, yep, yep. So and I go. don't know how Chelsea get out of the mess they're in because it's just we can talk about their transfer strategy, but mm. there's just no plan. Mm. There's no plan. But yeah, yeah. Shall um, we move on? Yeah, look, uh, I don't know if uh, Chelsea will be interested to get, see if they can get Sadio Mane from Bayern. I mean, it's their type. He's uh, he's a winger. He's yeah. not an out and out number nine who probably prefers to play up front with a proper number nine to play off. Did you, did you hear what happened with uh, Mane and Sane though? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Not good. It's, Not good. It's been a rough month for Bayern Munich. It sure has. It sure has. And apparently Turkle's mm. fallen out with Mane. Well, they've suspended him, Sadio mm. Mane. Mm. And yeah, I don't yeah. know if he'll be really involved in the second league against Manchester City in the Champions League. But not only has he caused a ruckus in the dressing room, fallen out with the manager, Thomas Tuchel, but he just hasn't been good enough himself this season. And yeah. his performances have been dreadful, by mm. and large, for what was seen as a, a landmark signing for the club, who no, was such a good player at Liverpool. Mm. He's just fallen off just as much as some of the Liverpool players have this season. Yeah, agree. Agree. Uh, I wasn't expecting, uh, well, I kind of half expected it, but uh, Milan to knock over Napoli in the first leg. Mm. They're think famous to go through now. I think we're going to get a, a Milanese derby. And that surprises me with this Napoli side. I think it just all rests on whether Victor Ossiman can play or not. Mm. Yes, I know Kim Min Jae's out and uh, Frank Zambo's out as well. But if Ossiman plays, then they still have a chance for mine. They still have yeah. a chance. And yeah. he didn't play in either of the two recent matches against AC Milan. Mm. But uh, if he is out, then yeah, it'll be a Milan derby in the semifinals, you would think, which would be a, a big surprise, but uh, also a welcome one. Yeah, very true. Very true. I noticed with interest that um, the Real Madrid-Barcelona um, stash has really intensified and it's kicked off again. Yep. I don't know if you're across this. <laughs> I saw that Real Madrid put out a, a video or some sort of statement. Uh-huh. As a result of Laporta um, stating that um, you know Real Madrid had favoritism <laughs> during Franco's reign between 39 and 75. Oh yeah, okay. That that makes it okay to pay off yeah, referees, huh? But it's okay to pay, you know, pay seven million euro over eighteen years to the vice president of Spain's refereeing committee. <sighs> Seriously, Barcelona have to be sanctioned here, and I'm not just saying that as a Real Madrid supporter. If it's been established that they've made payments, illegal payments, or to try and gain, you know, to try and influence the outcome of games, or to try and counter this perceived bias that uh, referees have against Barcelona, which I find absolutely laughable, right? Because they always had the tagline, UEFA loner, Barcelona, that they always got favourable decisions in the Champions League. So don't give me this rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. And really, I mean, look, I know Real Madrid have put a, you know, which I find interesting, a four-minute video to say, hey, you know, which is the team of the regime, Um, you know, and trying to align Barcelona actually being aligned with the you know with Franco. So yeah, look, we said it was going to get messy. Barcelona started this, and it is going to get very messy. You know, um, and Xavi um, is actually dealing with Gavi, you know with Gavi, who probably by all, you know by the look of things is probably going to leave Barcelona in the summer now given the incompetence that Barcelona have. I mean, we talked about Leeds last week and, and the incompetence that they showed, right? Now, this here is, it's not exactly the same because it hasn't cost Leeds like, you know, it hasn't cost Barcelona like it did Leeds, you know, one million pounds for a player per minute of use, right? <laughs> but this is just insane with regards to a talent that they've read and they've just dropped the ball on this. Yeah, completely. Do completely think, and yeah yeah do you think Laporte is trying to distract everyone to say hey look at this and this is what's happened and you know like uh we are trying to get this title from this you know many years ago and and you know 
Real Madrid were the team of the Franco dictatorship, which, you know, it's, you know, and we're not aligned. And, and this is something that happened nearly 50 years ago, mind you, right? So what is he playing at? I think all of us just posturing. And I think it's pretty clear the Barcelona have been caught with their hand in the cookie jar. I and think so. They're trying to drag everyone else down with them. It's a messy situation. It's not going to get any better until this is all sorted out in the courts. And football, in the meantime, is uh, on the receiving end because particularly with the Spanish league that these clubs operate in, it's not a good look. The two biggest clubs in the country, well, depending on who you ask, but the two biggest clubs in the league, Mm. they're at odds and they call each other out and they keep airing their dirty laundry. And no matter who's on the the right side, the wrong side, it's not a good look for the league. And Barcelona didn't have to do this. No. All right. And for Laporta to say, everyone knows that Real Madrid is a club that historically has been favoured by refereeing mistakes is ridiculous, especially when your club is the one that's been accused. And whilst you were a president of the club as well, you were, you know, accused of being of being the vice president of the refereeing association. My goodness, what are we talking about here? This is absolutely nuts. So he's they've created a situation. They've dragged Real Madrid into it. Real Madrid, with every right, had to, you know chose to respond. Maybe I think they had to respond, right? And now it's just become a shit fight between the two, like you say, two of the powerhouses of um, Spanish football. Well, they are the two powerhouses. I mean, look, Atletico, yes, right, but not really, not really, not not in the, not on the same level as Barcelona no. and Real Madrid. I mean, you know. It's just insane. It absolutely is insane. So I don't know what Laporta's playing at. He's obviously trying to be the master of um, distraction here. Um, also considering the, the uh, financial issues that Barcelona have as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they seem to be moving in the right direction with the financial trouble that was famed and over a billion euros in debt that seems to generally be starting to head in the right direction. But it's still a bastard case from top to bottom. And yeah, similar with some of the other topics we've talked about. I don't know how they really get out of it and move on to be a sustainable football club. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh, they can go and pull other levers if they need to. <laughs> Seriously. It looks like they're pulling other things. I can tell you. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Let them whistle in the wind. So where to from here, Nathan? Well, I'm pretty much exhausted for things that caught my eye this week. Okay. And a short turnaround from my last week's upload. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair well, enough. Someone talked to the, the organisers because the, the load is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fixture congestion and all that. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely crazy. No, it's all good. It's uh, like I said earlier. <laughs> A bit early this week, so we can uh, so you can enjoy a little getaway, and uh, you know, hopefully everyone enjoys the upcoming nuptials as well. But um, yeah, I think we're um, I think we're sweet actually. I think we're done. I think we're All pretty, right, I think we're pretty close to uh, hitting the back peg if we haven't hit it already. Nah, we got more to talk about, Les. We do. We do. Okay, because we have. We we got our two other segments we got the, in the up place. So what are you looking yes. forward to this weekend? Oof. Uh, I think I gave it away earlier. Look, Newcastle Spurs. I think that's mm-hmm. um, that's one that we need to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. Um, look, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken as well, Napoli should be able to secure the Scudetto this weekend. Against Juventus. Yeah. I, I believe that um, that's on the cards. So I'm stand to be corrected, of course, but I believe that the Scudetto can be wrapped up um, this coming weekend. So, which will be um, something worth uh, worth tuning in for. So, um, look, I think the um, A League will be uh, will be interesting as well this weekend. There's some yeah. you know, the last two rounds so much on the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's a big week in football. I mean, you've got the Champions League quarterfinals, you've got the other European quarterfinals in the Europa League and the uh, Conference League as well coming up. So it's well, it's just football, football, football. It's just incredible. One other thing I'm looking forward to this weekend is uh, PSV against Ajax. 
Second verse third. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a big one, isn't it? Classic derby. Mm. And uh, try and keep pace with Feyenoord, who are starting to build up a little bit of a gap. And I think Feyenoord's um, being managed by Ruud van Nisselrooy, if I'm not mistaken. No, Feyenoord are being managed by uh, Arne Schlott. Arne Schlott, sorry. So it's... um, uh, He's... So van Nisselrooy is at... PSV. PSV. My apologies. My apologies. Got that. Got that wrong. Sorry, I thought it was. I knew it was an AX. I just couldn't mm. remember which one it was. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Arnie Slot has been uh, linked with many high-profile gigs around Europe, and okay. uh, maybe one job in North London, perhaps if the cards fall his way. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, you've yeah, got, and, and I think we've got the FA Cup semi-finals on this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. We do indeed. Okay. It's, uh, Brighton, Manchester United, and Sheffield United, Manchester City. Yeah. It'd be great yeah. if we saw Sheffield United into the final. <laughs> well, I would like to see Sheffield United versus Brighton, but, you know, that's just me. Look, I make Brighton favourites. Of course you would. In the semi final. Yeah. You'd I be, mean, uh, you'd be, you know, you're trying to play the underdog card here. No. <laughs> just look not. at the way they're playing. Just look at the way they're playing. Mm. Oh, look, uh, you know. I hope they win because they're very entertaining. And I'll tell you what, all jokes aside, a Manchester City-Brighton final would be, I think, would be pretty good, actually. It's probably either going to be because, look, as nice as it would be for Sheffield United to get one up on uh, the the champions of England, I think it would be something a a bit uh, in the realms of uh, impossibility. Yes. So either it's going to be Manchester City against Brighton or a Manchester derby for the first time ever? I think that if Sheffield United were to knock over Manchester City, that would be the biggest cup set of all time. I can't think of another upset, and there have been some pretty big upsets, but I can't think of another upset that would just be so big, considering the context at this point, you know, in in, in the evolution of um, football. Because Manchester City is just an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, and I can't really think of too many that would come close. Maybe the year that Wigan beat Manchester City in the final of possibly. the FA Cup. Yeah, possibly. Might come, might come close, but still. But Wigan were in the Premier League. Sheffield yeah. United are a championship club. so it, it, And yes, Wigan went on to get relegated, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. came out it's, of uh, It would be the biggest upset of all time. So I think we are due an intriguing FA Cup final, whichever way it goes. Mm. Uh, on this side of the call, I hope there's a there's a red team in there, but uh, <laughs> I'm not confident. Certainly not confident. Hmm. Um, I'm also looking to Barcelona. I'm looking forward to Barcelona and Atletico Madrid this weekend. Is Xavi going to blame the pitch again? Of course. <laughs> you seem surprised. I mean, against Getafe, it shouldn't matter what pitch they play on. They should be going and winning that game. And uh, what's the gap down to now? Eleven points. Yeah, and still not, um, yeah, still not within reach. I think of uh, Real Madrid at the moment, but that's okay. Doesn't matter as long as Real Madrid win the Champions League, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Last, shall we go overseas? Yes, yes. Let's go V League. Yeah, let's have a look at our V League teams. And, yes, uh, uh, I'll kick things off. And Kongan Hanoi had a four yeah. 0 win over Nam Din. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's my lot. Lost 5-3 to Than Hoist. It's yeah. Tiny. Yeah, very much so. If only we could watch it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yes. And uh, Ho Chi Minh City uh, went down 5-3 to Than Noah, or Than Hoa, I should say, who are leading the league, the V League. And, yeah, Ho Chi Minh City in 12th, languishing in 12th. And Hong Lin Ha Tin. Sorry, Kong An Ha Nui. That's your team there. Correct? That's mine. Yeah. Otherwise known as? The Hanoi Police. There you go. So Kong and Hanoi are in fifth place, sitting pretty on 11 points. And Laz, mm-hmm. you're not going to believe it. Yeah, I probably am. Go on. But they're going on holiday again. Are you kidding? I'm looking at this fixture list. The next match for Kong An is against your boys on the 21st of May. Another six week break. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> well, not six on? weeks, it's a month. Yeah, 
this was only a three-game spell before they go on break again. We're going to have to see if we can find a Vietnamese pro footballer. That's ridiculous. Get back to work. Get back to playing. <laughs> Come on. We've got a league to follow. But anyway, so what happened in Colombia? Well, my boys didn't play. Postponed. They had another postponed game, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that. So uh, um, it's another week off, and they're back in action on Thursday morning against uh, Chico. Very good. Very good. Whilst Deportivo, How about your boys? Deportivo mm. Cali had a win at home. 2-1. At long against, last. <laughs> at long last against Union Magdalena. So there you go. So Did they call for a six-pointer? Yeah, possibly, but <laughs> but it is because uh, ah, Deportivo Cali now is still in second last on you know 19th on 12 points. So, but, you know, it's good. At least that's okay. Whilst America de Cali are sitting pretty in fourth on 21 points. Falling down a little bit. Yeah, but that's okay. It's fine. It's fine. That's okay. Um, and this weekend, this weekend, I noticed that your boys are playing on Tuesday morning our time against Deportivo Pereira. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah, I thought so. And <laughs> Deportivo Cali are playing away to Alianza Petrolera. So there you go. Tough one. Tough one. It is a tough one. It is a tough one, but there you have it. What do you do? You can only hey. play. You can only play who's in front of you. So yep. that's it. And when the uh, the six pointers come around, or what would it be the uh, the seis puntos? <laughs> <laughs> very, very well said. You got to you got to win those, don't you? <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Laz, have we hit the back bag? I think we have. I think we have indeed. Nathan, thank you very much for your time again today. Absolute pleasure, Laz. Thank you enjoy, for yours. No, enjoy your time away and uh, look forward to uh, getting back onto the back peg again next week. Looking forward to it, hopefully with a guest. Yeah, hopefully with a guest. And just a reminder again, guys, um, heartbeatoffootball.com.au slash make it red. Um, Friday, April 28th to um, Sunday, April 30th. Get your club involved, get your teams involved uh, to help a really good cause. So there you go. Thanks again, Absolutely. Nathan. Thank you, Laz. Thank you to the backpackers out there tuning in to this pod, and uh, we shall speak to you soon. Yes, and please interact with us on uh, tw- Twitter and Instagram. So, um, yeah, feel free to send us a DM. Fantastic. Talk soon, guys. Thanks, guys. Take care.